Uh, we didn't just, uh, uh, we didn't ask you here for your money. Uh, we, uh, we ask you here so you get something from the Lord that uh, we were going to get anyway, and that pray that uh, you get to share in that. And uh, we've been praying for this man here, and that the Lord would give him the sermons to preach, and that God would show up. And uh, we're just uh, remarking here, there's some good memories in this place that we've shared together, and we've seen the Lord show up here, and I pray he shows up again. And uh, so I pray you be praying for this meeting, even right now and as it goes on. Uh, you know, uh, put away all kinds of distractions. Uh, Brother Barney preached an excellent message uh, last night. If you uh, were able to put down the, the television set and step away from the game a little while, you would have heard it. Uh, but that's to, uh, to put away the stone, remove ye away the stone. Uh, some of you might take, a, might take a couple of nights before you get that stone moved away. But I pray that whatever stands between you and revival gets moved away and the Lord's able to meet with you. And uh, if you're only able to be here tonight, I pray it gets a hold of you tonight. All right, I'll, uh, I'll stop uh, lollygagging and, and uh, oh, and the nursery's got to go. <laughs> Remove the spiritual group. All right, brother, it's a blessing to have you. Come ahead. I see Brother Bill's been up here. Those are a lot prettier than me. I'll give those to Drina Lynn. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Just about everywhere he goes when he comes, he always brings me a peacock feather. We go a long way back from back in the days in uh, Moberly. Uh, I really do appreciate being able to be here. It's been a tremendous uh, privilege to know Brother Chris over a number of years and through a lot of uh, difficulties and decisions and things that he's been through. Most of you probably know about those things, but you kind of see a real miracle in your midst and what God's done. And uh, his pathway is not the normal pathway for most people. I think one of the hardest things for people to understand when it comes to the Christian life is if we really believe what the Bible says, if you're not your own, you're bought with a price and therefore serve the Lord with your members and so on and so forth. If you really believe that we're, uh, our, we're dead to ourselves and we're alive unto God. And if you believe that because we're supposed to now serve Him and not ourselves. That gets put to the test when the Lord puts you on a different path than how you had it drawn up. I mean, you know, you get, maybe you get a little older and you get out of high school and you think you're going to meet the perfect one and you think you do in high school because you don't have any sense in high school, but you think you have sense in high school. You can amen that even if you are from Missouri. I, I know, I know I'm, you're in Missouri. We don't amen. Yeah, but if it's true, you amen anyway. It's like, yeah, you're right. I did think I knew everything in high school. High school is when you think you know more than your dad. College is when you begin to realize maybe dad did know some things. And by the time you're 40, it's like, I was an idiot to think I knew everything. And by that time, your kids are looking at you thinking they know more. And you're like, kid, I've been where you are, and you don't know more than me. So, But uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the Christian life sometimes... Uh, has different uh, jogs along the way, speed bumps along the way. You might even say uh, pits and other things that come up on the way to the palace. 
I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, just a, a simple story. And let me ask you this question before I start. How many of you know the little old Sunday school story about uh, Joseph's coat of many colors? Anybody? I want to ask you a question then, since you're Bible believers and you're all very well versed in it. Can you tell me, uh, did Joseph ask for that coat? You know what the Bible says in that passage you're fixing to read there in the book of Genesis? I'm going to read it to you in just a moment. You know what that Bible says? That Bible says that Joseph's daddy, that would be Jacob, loved him more than the others. And he gave him that coat as a sign of how much he loved him. But when he did, he earmarked him. That Bible tells you now three different times, what you're fixing to see is three different times that his brothers hated him. His brothers hated him. His brothers hated him. And then after he gives that last dream, the Bible says they envied him. Could I ask you this question? I'm going to read the passage to you because we're Bible believers and we've got to start there and that's how we do it. And I'm all for that. I'm not being sarcastic. But listen to me for a minute. Could you ask me this question? Did Joseph make up the dream? Who gave Joseph the dream? That's the right answer. Who gave Joseph the dream? The Lord did, didn't he? Who gave him the interpretation? The Lord did, didn't he? You know what they did? They hated him for what God gave him. Now that doesn't even seem fair. <laughs> Does it? You ever realize that sometimes people just cannot stand you, but it has nothing to do with you? You remember Samuel comes over there and they say, make us a king uh, like unto all the other nations around us. That's how sometimes the voice of uh, other, other voices, they line up with the world. Make us like everybody else. And Samuel says, you have the Lord. And uh, they say, we don't care, man. We want somebody else to be our king. And the Lord said to Samuel, remember what he said? They haven't rejected you. They're rejecting me. You realize sometimes on the way to the palace, ladies and gentlemen, that God's got jogs and detours and different things along the way for you specifically. And each one of your paths will be just different as a snowflake will be different. You'll have the same common stardom place at Calvary. But after that, there's no telling where you're going to wind up. You can't tell from one day to the next. You think everything's fine today, and then tomorrow morning you wake up and feel like an elephant sitting on your chest, and you're over at the hospital, and everything you had planned for the next 20 years just went out the window. Why? God had a different plan for you. It's not always a good plan. It's not always a fun thing. You think everything's going okay, and you think, man, I'm about to get my mortgage paid off, and once I get that, I'm going to get me an RV, and I'm going to travel around from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. I'm going to be a camp meeting junkie, man, and I'm going to have me a time, and I'm going to see this, and I'm going to see that. And then before long, the roof caves in, the house burns down, and trouble comes your way, and you're like, man, that isn't how I had this thing planned. Or you wind up having kids, and you think they're all little angels. And you realize you start and all of a sudden one night you go in there and you roll their hair back and you're looking real close. You're looking for a 666 up in there somewhere because you're like, how could that sweet little angel turn into the devil overnight, you know? And then all of a sudden that little young and breaks your heart and goes prodigal. Raised in the church. Been to every church camp you could have. Used to, in Sunday school, win awards, get Bible ribbons for quoting scriptures. And off she's gone or off he's gone. How can you explain that? Let me just show you a couple of things here. Maybe talk to you for a little while tonight. Not preach at you. Just kind of talk to you about some things I find uh, quite interesting in the Bible. Look, if you will, Genesis 37. You're probably already there. 
The Bible says in verse number 2, there are generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old, feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. And Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he was made a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that his father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and told the brethren, and they hated him yet more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, and this dream that I have had, and dreamed unto you, and we're out in the field, and we're sheaves, and so on and so forth, and your sheaf bowed down to my sheaf. And verse number 8, they hated him even more. And what did they do? They hated him for his words. Look at the end of verse number 8. And then he has a dream, another dream in verse number 9. And then guess what winds up happening? He says, yeah, we were all up there in stars. Kind of like being in an independent Baptist church. Everybody's a star. So many stars in our churches nowadays you can't see Jesus. But anyway, he said, we're all stars. We're up there in heaven. Maybe he thought for a while he was a Mormon or something. I'm not sure. That's funny. At least it's funny to me. My poor wife, you know what she says to me? She said, honey, if you have to explain the joke, it's really not funny. I said, yeah, but when I explain it, they laugh. She said, they're not laughing. That's a pity laugh. <laughs> See, you just did it. He said, well, I dreamed a dream. And he said, there were stars up there. And guess what? I was like, oh, let us guess, Joseph. And you were the main star and all that. And all of us bowed down. And then after that time, there's three hates right there. And you know what that Bible says? That Bible says they hate him. They hated him. Brothers, just you pray, would you please and ask the Lord to help us? Amen. Thank you. Listen, I want to ask you a question, probably a question that most of you preachers have gotten, at least you get on a regular basis. It's still that unknown or unanswered question, although maybe it has been answered. We just don't really like the answer. And that question is, is, you know, why do the righteous suffer? Or why do good people, bad things happen to good people? Or why is it after I got saved, it seems like after I got saved, all the trouble started coming, an avalanche, the, do the domino effect, that I was doing pretty good and everything was okay when I was lost, God-forsaken sinner. But since I've gotten right with the Lord, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm coming to church, I'm, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. It just seems like every time I turn around, something's happening to me. And I don't know what in the world it is that's happening or what the world that's going on. Well, maybe in this story you might find a couple of things here that might be of some benefit to you. As I already stated to you before, in the passage right there, Joseph uh, has a father that really cares about him for no reason of his own other than he was the son of his old age. Joseph had nothing to do with that. Jacob just said, I like him more than I like others. 
Do you realize in that Bible we have a misconception? Many people think that when it comes to serving the Lord that we get to pick the path. I'll pick what I'm going to do for Jesus. You can't find that in the Bible. The Lord picks and chooses who He wants to pick and choose. As a matter of fact, He chooses the base things to confound the wise. He'll go along there and He'll say, uh, Hey, Elijah the Tishbite, come on, I'll have you call. Elijah wasn't looking to be called. He just got called. You know what Elisha was doing? Elisha's out there 12, uh, plowing 12 yoke of oxen. The other 12 guys are out there in front of him. He's bringing up the rear. And the old preacher walks by there one day and throws a mantle on him and says, If it's God follow me and if it's not you got you a nice man I'll see you later and he said hey hang on man I'm going to say goodbye to my mom and daddy I'm going to burn my plowshares and kill my oxen I'm coming with you he wasn't looking to be called what was he doing he was just doing what he was supposed to do Saul was on the road to Damascus when the Lord knocked him off of his horse, his beast the Bible says, and got him down there in the dirt and blinded him. And then all of a sudden he calls Ananias and says, go over there and talk to Paul. And he, or Saul, he said, man, you've got to be kidding me. That guy's killing Christians. He's putting people in prison. He's making widows out of women and orphans out of children. Lord, you must have had a wires crossed or something, man. Bad connection on the cell phone. No, no, uh, no, no signal. I don't know. What are you talking about? Go talk to him. You know what the Lord says? to him, you go over there and talk to him because I need to show him what great things he must suffer for my sake. Paul's the greatest apostle that lives. He's our apostle to the apostles of the Gentiles. Paul didn't pick that path. As a matter of fact, Paul's pretty hard-headed at the beginning of the thing. The Lord takes him back over to the other side there for about three and three and a half years maybe into Arabia and teaches him thing. He comes back over there and immediately he goes into the synagogue and guess who he's talking to? Jews. And the Lord said, I said, Gentiles. And he said, but Lord, these people right here, I know them and I know how they came up and I know the law. I mean, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees above the law, blameless. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I got the degrees. I got the pedigrees. I know these people. I used to persecute these people. I know who they are. I, you know, I, if I was you, Lord, I'd put me in a ministry. I'm fine to the Jews. I should go to the Jews. I need to show the Jews. what He said, I said, Gentiles. That constriction between him and the Lord gets to be so curt that he winds up has to have to be let down by a basket out there and let down outside the wall because the Jews are now trying to kill him. You say, what was that? That's the Lord saying, I said Gentiles. The hardest thing in the world for a Christian to understand is, is that when you uh, decide to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one that picks the path. He's the one that dillies out the coats. He's the one that decides to give you certain individuals, certain abilities, and other individuals without having the ability. You can be in the will of God sitting right where you are as much as I'm in the will of God preaching. See, you didn't, go, you didn't jump on train there. Well, I'm a preacher, I don't know that. If I'm, if I'm serving the Lord, I'm going to surrender, serve. I have to be a preacher, a missionary, or I've got to lead the singing, or I've got to do something like that. No, you don't have to do. You know what you have to do to be in the will of God? What you can you say, what can you can do? Well, you can do maybe a lot right now, but you might eventually get where you got to sit by the brook over there before and say, hey, listen, man, we'd love to fight with you, but our fight was gone, man. Our get up and go done got up and went, man. And David said, y'all just sit here. You say, why? They've been doing the fight and they can't fight no more. Christian, you have to understand that as you get older and as I get older, you got to recognize you can only do what you can. You can't do what you used to do. But you have to also be willing to yield to the young bucks coming along the way and recognize that the Lord has to replace you. None of us are irreplaceable. 
I mean, I might struggle to fight with you a little bit over the old preacher, but beyond that one, I mean, he was a special individual. The Lord gave him a special calling, and there's not another one, and there never will be another one. So don't try to be him. You say, why? You ain't going to be running prisons at 90 years of age. You can't keep up with him. I'm just a side story real quick. I'm going through a prison one day. We were way back. I got a 4 by 7 sheet of plywood, 5 eighths plywood, and I'm carrying it. I was in a little better shape in those days. Didn't have quite as much of a floaty around me. And, and so I, you know, I carry this in case, you know, the plane goes down over the water. I can, I can float, you know. And we're over there. And he turned around. He stopped in the middle of that big old long hallway. Peacock! Keep up with the column. And I'm thinking, man, I'm about to die. You're killing me. And he backs up over there. He says, You make me tired. You know, like that. And I thought, Yeah, 90 years old and I can't even keep up with you. You say, Well, what do you think's wrong with you? He had a whole nother gear. I can't be him. And you can't be somebody else. You know what you have to learn to be? You have to learn to be happy with how God made you to be. And every one of you is made different, and every one of you has certain abilities, and every one of you have certain strengths, and every one of you have certain weaknesses. And you have to learn to submit both the strengths and the weaknesses to the Lord, and then let Him do with you what He wants. But when He does something with you that you don't agree with, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we are in the story here. Now, let me ask you this. He had two dreams there, and in those two dreams, did not the Lord tell him that his brethren, including his mom and daddy, were going to be bowing down to him? I mean, he's going to be the big kahuna. Isn't that what he says? And there he promises him that. The Lord gave him that as the direction. Well, before long, he's out there tending to the flocks and so on and so forth. He says, hey, uh, Joseph, Jacob calls him in there and he says, your brothers are down there around Dotham. You probably know where that is, brother, in Alabama. He's down there. He said, your brothers are down there. He said, uh, take them some food. Take them some food. And you know, Daddy, they hate me. Yeah, but you know what that reminds me to say? That reminds me to say you still have a responsibility to feed people whether they hate you or not. Whether the world likes you or not, you have a responsibility to take food to them. You say, why? They can't get it anywhere else. There's something you have to give them, even in a small community like this, and the ones you come from, that you have that they don't have and nobody else can deliver. Well, they don't like me. Doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to take them the stuff that you can take them. Drop a track on the table. Be a witness to them. Show up at a funeral. Help them along the way when they're struggling along the way. Bad weather comes in or difficulties or problems like that. Why? You got food. But our problem is we don't get to feed just who we want to feed. You have to feed people that don't like you. That's just extra. That's no charge for that whatsoever. That boy comes down through there. You know the story. And he gets ready to go. And they see him coming down the road. You know what they're doing? They're conspiring against him. They hate him. They are doing everything they can in their mind. How are we going to get rid of this guy? Man, they are burning up the phone lines. They're burning up Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. And they got private chat rooms opened up. They're spending all their time on that stuff. And they're hunting and pecking and hunting and pecking. They got carpal tunnel syndrome. They probably all got little uh, things on their hands because they've been using their thumbs so many times. And that kind of a deal. That's funny. Because that's where you are today. You're obsessed with electronic stuff. I've never seen anything like it. There's an old man, I, I mean no disrespect, there's a fellow that is more aged than I am sitting in the plane next to me, and he's got a phone, and he can't wait for the Wi-Fi thing to come on, and when he, he goes, finally, and I'm like, what's the matter there, boss? And he said, uh, I finally got Wi-Fi. I can get my candy crush. <laughs> 
I'm thinking, you're like 75 and you're literally can't wait to take these little lines and line them up and make them fall and do whatever they do and think. Some of y'all must be playing it because y'all are like, why has he got to be talking about Candy Crush? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to bring it to the altar. You know? <laughs> but I thought to myself, boy, what an age we live in. More consumed with what's going on in the news media and more consumed with what's going on on the little device than you are what's going on between you and the Lord. But this is not, this is an encouragement. This is just a, this is just a sidebar there. You know what they do? They begin to look at that guy and they say, we don't like him. You ever wonder why? They didn't like him because his daddy singled him out, but they didn't like him because the Lord singled him out. Well, if he's promised to be there, wouldn't you think he should get on the primrose path and everything should be fine? I mean, shouldn't it just be rose petals and uh, rainbows and you? I can't say rainbows anymore. I'll just say unicorn and cotton candy. You can't say rainbow anymore. Some queer thing to you say, oh, yeah, well, that's it. That's, yeah. Oh, he's, he's with us. No, no, uh-uh. I am not. I just want to make that clear. We are in dire straits if when you come to Missouri, the heartland of this country, and folks are kind of like, well, now you know, that's their choice. No. You still check plumbing. You do not wait till that kid grows old enough to decide what it wants to be. It is not an it when it is born. It is a male or it is a female. It's y'all's fault I'm off the track right now. If y'all keep doing this to me, we're going to be here two hours. When y'all respond that way, I'm like, okay, we're going to go ahead and just fish around that stump till we get John out. Right? Good. That's much better. I'm feeling a lot more at ease now. He comes up there. You know what he says? He says, look at him, man. He's got his fancy coat on. Got his fancy. Daddy likes him. Who does he think he is, man? Look at him. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, man. I mean, what in the world? Are those dreams? Man, have you heard those dreams? I mean, it was stuck in their craw. And one of the boys says to the other one, he said, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's kill him. Nobody opposes it till Reuben says, hey, before you do that, why don't we just put him in that big old hole over there? Let's put him in that pit and, and we'll take that coat off of him. Let's teach him a lesson. And, you know, kind of like Pilate saying about the Lord, you know, let me take him down here and beat him and then bring him back out here. And then maybe you won't be in such a hurry to kill him. Surely you see Joseph's a type of Christ. The old preacher used to say in about 152 particulars, I haven't found them all, but if he said it, it's there. And you say, well, but preacher, you know, he's not right about everything. You're an idiot to say something like that. You know what? I've been around long enough to know to think to myself, that was an odd thing that he said. And then I go back later on, 10 years later, and go, how did he know that? Uh, that guy was phenomenal stuff. You say, well, you know, why you got to be talking about him? Because I like him. No, I loved him. <laughs> he was a friend of mine. But at any rate, here's what I want to say to you. They come up there. You know what they do? He gets down there. He says, hey, guys, here you go. Daddy told me to bring you this food. And he brings out the dates and the raisins. Who knows? Bread and the wine, the cheese, and all that other kind of stuff. And they sure don't mind taking all that stuff. And then before long, one of them gets behind him. And the other one gets down and shoves him down on the ground. And he falls over backwards. And they grab him, take him, shake him out of that coat, and throw him down there probably with nothing but his undergarments on and pitch him down there in a hole and he is beat up and banged up and got abrasions and road rash all over and looked like he fell off of a Harley and he's down there in the bottom of that hole and he's whimpering. He's 17. And he's whimpering and he's whining and he's bawling and he's squalling and he's bruised up and there's no water and there's no bread and he's just trying to help people. I forgot maybe to mention to you he's on his way to the palace. But he's in a pit. 
He stays down there in that pit. You know what happens? It's sometimes real hard not to get bitter about the pit you're in. You remember the story about Jeremiah? Jeremiah's down there. Kind of the same kind of a deal. Y'all all remember this. None of this stuff I'm going to tell you is anything new. You know it probably better than I do. Jeremiah goes over there and he tries to help his people and he tries to do everything God tells him to do. You can't find where he dropped anything in there. I mean, he's even praying so much that even when his prayers aren't coming through, the Lord finally says to him, hey man, stop praying for him. I'm not listening anymore. I'm done with him. That's how faithful he was. You know what they did to him? They went over there and put him down in the sewer pit, man. Sunk him up to his nose in a stinking sewer pit. You know what he said? Could you blame him? He's down in the pit. You know what he says? If that's how you're going to treat me, I'm done. You ever been there? I've seen him quit on a hospital bed before. I've seen him quit at a funeral home before. I've seen him quit after divorce court before. I've seen him quit after a bad accident. I've seen him quit after a bad diagnosis. I've seen him quit for all kinds of reasons more than Carter's got pills. I've seen people with whatever it took to push him over the edge. And I've got to be honest with you, sometimes I can't blame them. I mean, I've seen some Christians go through some stuff, man, and you're thinking to yourself, how are you hanging in there? Well, it's not my path. It's his path. He put me on the path. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I, I don't get to pick what he does with me. Yeah, but don't we kind of have some skin in the game? I mean, come on. Don't you, don't you have that idea? I got saved to get out of all the mess. And he may have delivered you from a few things. And it's right out of the pit and right, into the fire, right out of the frying pan and into the fire, isn't it? Sometimes. A little bit. Yes, sir. Come on, you elderly folks, sitting at home at night at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning when arthritis is keeping you up and the smell of gay smells like a man's locker room. And you're standing there in front of the commode and you think you need to go, but you can't go. And you're thinking, man, I need to sleep, and but i got to go, and I can't, and this and that and the other, and you're getting sick. That's where you live. You're not fooling me. You're not fooling me with that clock going... All by yourself, all by your lonesome, stub your toe walking down a hallway you've been down a hundred times. You don't know what's going on or don't know what's the matter. Everything in you aches and everything hurts. If it don't hurt, it ain't working, you know. So, it's, And then the next thing you get up the next morning and it's rinse, wash, and repeat, boy. And old age creeps up on you and people quit calling you and family quits coming. Thanksgiving ain't what it used to be and Christmas is no longer like it used to be and there's just no joy and before long that smile gets turned upside down and that face begins to droop and it begins to drop and boy age begins to come in like iron shod hooves off of a horse and just stamps it all over your feet and you know what you say you know what it's enough Lord let me go I can't take it anymore but you're on the way to the palace <laughs> That's a strange road to be on, isn't it? He's down there in that pit and stuff like that, and Reuben's down there trying to work some kind of a deal with the guys and, and that kind of thing. And look at him down there bawling and squawking. What had he done wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. I've read stories where they try to make him out like he was a smart aleck or something. There's no indication of that. If he's a type of the Lord in 152 particulars, it stands to reason he wasn't a smart aleck. You can't. They're trying to justify why they threw him in the pit. They threw him in the pit because they were downright mean and they hated him. That's why they threw him in the pit. You don't justify their wrongdoing. They did wrong. They shouldn't have done that to him. And then they finally they see a slave trade. Who would have ever thought a slave train would be your deliverance? <laughs> 
I mean, think about that. Man, being sold into slavery beats the fire out of being in a pit. Man, boy, hallelujah. The Lord set me free and put me in chains and locked me in a cage. And they haul him up out of there and he's like, okay, it's all forgiven and all that kind of stuff. And they say, shut up. And they come over there and they look at it and they lift his gums up and they look at his teeth and all this and that and the other. And they say, we'll give you 20 pieces of silver for him. He ain't worth much more than a dog. But we'll try to do something with him. He's skinny as a rail and good for nothing. But I tell you what, we'll take him off your hand. And the boys, here's you 20 pieces of silver. And they dump him in the cage. And he grabs him cage standing there in his underclothing man. And he's looking there and he's crying and he's screaming. And come on, man, you got to be kidding me. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing it? He knows he's going to his death. You think that's any kind of way to go to the palace? I mean, how would you draw the picture up? Yeah, man. I mean, I, he told me I was going to be the chief out there. Everybody's going to be bowed down to. And so, you know what I figure is one day the Pharaoh's just going to come out here and pick me up and put me in a chair right beside him. Isn't that how we want to go? I mean, if you think long and hard about it, uh, David didn't go that way. David's out there in the field. Out, he's tending some sheep out there. And a uh, little preacher comes up there and he says, hey, listen, I told to come to the house of Jesse here. And one of your boys said, oh, yeah, we know who's going to be the king, man, alive there. I mean, he's uh, taller than the rest of them, good-looking man. He knows about seven different languages. I mean, he, he's the strapping guy. He's the brains of the operation. It'll be that guy right there. And old Sam looks at him and says, you're probably right about that, man. That's probably him. And the Lord said, hey, that ain't him. Man looks on the outside, I look on the, uh, in, I look on the heart. Uh, there's a boy out there, ask him if he got anybody else. Jesse, uh, you got somebody else? Yeah, we got somebody else. There's no way you want who's out there tending the sheep. We've already decided. He doesn't look like anybody God would use. He doesn't look like anybody that would be a king. He's not kingly material. Sometimes God's voice will take you in a path and make a choice out of you and he'll choose the oddest, weirdest, strangest things because God does things that are contrary to the way man does it. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God looketh on the heart. That's a man after God's own heart. And he comes in there and he dumps oil on him and he said, Preacher, I don't know why you wasted the good oil. He said, Well, you're going to be the king of Israel. He said, Yeah, okay. I don't know where, where's the camera. Are you all punking me or something here? What's the joke? And he goes back to tending sheep. You know how I know? Because it wasn't time for him to be elevated yet. Now listen, if you were anointed as king, would you not think right then you ought to go to the throne? Or they should put you in king school or something? I've been anointed king. Where's the trumpets and the chariots and where's all the other stuff? That's what they do with all the other kings. I mean, when Absalom tries to come to power, he's got all these people ahead of him, got all these horses, got all these chariots, got all this following. Well, he got anointed, didn't he? You know what he does with him? He takes him out there. He said, go back to tending sheep. And guess where he finds him? Tending sheep. He said, hey, your brothers need food. I'm the king. I don't go take my brother's food. It's funny how many times God uses a man to take food to people that hate him. And he comes over there, and guess what happens? Nobody recognizes him as a king. Saul's the king. Nobody recognizes him as even being anointed. It's not even been noised abroad. Nobody knows anything about it. Timing wasn't yet right. It's not just being at the right place. It's being at the right time. And so all of a sudden, David comes up there, and, and he, uh, looks, he hands out some stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, what are you doing down here? You just wanted to see the battle. No, Dad told me to come down here and bring you some food. Figured you guys were hungry, and so here's you some food and stuff like that. About that time, big old Goliath comes out there and curses and swears and all that. And he said, hey, man, why are you all doing this? 
And they said, oh, shut up, you little pipsqueak man. You punk. What are you? You ain't got nothing to do. <laughs> he said, well, I'll be junk, man. He ain't going to talk like that about my God. They're like, oh, so you think you're all that, huh? And, well, I don't know. They try to put Saul's arm, you know how the story goes. And he goes, I don't know nothing about this stuff. Well, what do you know about? By the way, I know why they put Saul's arm on him. Saul wanted the people to think he was out there on the battlefield, just in case David won. But at any rate, counterfeit. Anyhow, he says, listen, man, all I know is I got this rag and this rock here, this sling, and uh, I'm pretty familiar with it. He hadn't been out there practicing, trying to hit a big old 9-foot target, 13-foot target. He hadn't been working on that kind of stuff. He wasn't waiting for his day to, for that time to show up. Oh, boy, this is it. This is it. He just happened to be where God wanted him to be. Doing what? Serving others. And God said, okay, now's the time. And he goes out there and he kills Goliath and knocks him in the head there and then cuts his head off with a sword and then holds it up. And all of Israel climbs out of there and says, man, that's what I'm talking about. And they take off out and pursue him. And then at the end of that thing, here we go. Saul is slain as thousands, but David is ten thousands. Lord timing. And he gets elevated when God's ready for him to be elevated. Would you have elevated a shepherd boy? Would you have elevated a, a stuttering, bumbling shepherd who uh, killed a man the first time around, spent 40 years on the backside of the deer, and married a black woman? Was hooked up with the, uh, the Midianitish king over there? Would you have had anything to do with that? He's kind of disqualified for the ministry, wouldn't you say? <laughs> That's Moses. He's 80 years old. He's kind of past the, uh, the, the exp- expiration date, isn't he? You ever think about that, ladies and gentlemen? Some of you look shocked when I said that. Isn't that what you do? You look at the outside and you say, that guy can't serve the Lord. He can't do nothing. Forty years Joshua has been in the camp with those people. Why didn't the Lord just pick Joshua? He's been there. You don't get to pick your path. Moses, Moses. He turned aside to see the bush, not that it was burning, but that it wasn't burning and not consumed. That's something to see. He starts toward that bush, and the Lord says to him, uh, Take off thy shoes, for the ground whereupon thou standest is holy ground. And Moses says, Holy smokes, man. He said, You ain't bringing Egypt over here, boy. Take them shoes off. I'm going to talk to you. He said, we're going back over there to Egypt, and you're going to lead the people out. Lord, I stutter, and I'm 80 years of age. Why don't you use somebody that's been over there that knows the people, been around the people? I mean, generations have died since I've been gone over there. The Lord said, because I want you. The Lord has waited 40 years to take those people out, an additional 40 years, and he still goes back to the bullpen and pulls Moses out and said, I'm going to use that old man, whether people like it or not, and if it hair lips the devil, I like that guy and I'm going to use him. Moses is is not even looking for it. He's over in Midian. Are you seeing the picture? You say, yeah, but you get to Joseph, man. We really will be here for two more hours. Joseph comes out of that thing and he's over in that cage and he's with the other slaves and that stuff and the smell of sweat and B.O. man and urine and feces and they don't let him hardly eat anything and they get him in there to Egypt and run him, uh, dry him, I mean wash him off there with a fire hose or whatever and get him cleaned up and uh, Potiphar's coming through and he's looking at him and that kind of a deal and he comes up there to Joseph and Joseph's standing there like a piece of meat shaking like a, a, a wind, a, a leaf in the wind. I mean just, just trembling and shaking all over and they're coming not knowing skinny as a rail. Not enough meat on his bones to, to make a, a good stew. I mean, just, just shaking and trembling. And uh, Potiphar stops and he looks at him, takes a shine to him. He said, what about this one here? Who's he? We don't know, man. We picked him up out of a pit out there. 
We just threw him in the cage with everybody else. He's a nondescript. They don't even know what his name is. You see, you've got a name? And Joseph speaks a language and they can't understand him. He said, oh, he's a foreigner. He's not one of us. He ain't like us around here. I bet he don't do things like we do them. He ain't from around here, is he? Right? And Potiphar says, well, maybe I could train him or something like that and punches him a little bit and pokes him a little bit and Joseph kind of winces and different things like that. And he said, well, okay, probably not going to make much, of, much out of him, but maybe I can make a houseboy or something out of him. I'll take him. And he takes him and doesn't say there's an exchange for anything. And the Bible tells you on a number of these occasions, if you read in between the lines, I don't have time to go up there now, but then you read repeatedly, you know what the Bible said, and the Lord was with Joseph. But he didn't tell Joseph that. The Lord never left him. The Lord never forsook him. But he sure felt forsaken. You ever felt that way? Saved, blood washed, born again, make irregular trips to the altar, try to stay in fellowship with the Lord, trying to serve the Lord, preach, pray, sing, try your best to do that stuff, try to stay clean, try to stay right. Lord, are you there? Lord, are you there? If there was my marriage falling apart, if you're there, why are my kids prodigal? If you're there, how come my finances are in shambles? You ever been there before? If you had never been there before, you hadn't been saved very long. You must have been saved about six minutes. Because <laughs> after that, all of a sudden, you know what happens? You get a reality check. All of a sudden, you recognize, man, I got saved. And then all of a sudden, you realize what that old preacher said. All that did was resolve your problems out yonder in eternity. It didn't do nothing down here. You're going to go through it. You say, why? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 still in the Bible, so you can minister to all those that are in any trouble. <clears throat> Who wants to be that kind of minister? I mean, I'd like to be one of them smiling jokers in a basketball arena over there. You get up there and give a talk, and you know, and this is my Bible. <laughs> Something good is going to happen to you today. And all them jokers are like, yeah. I'm like, are y'all even saved? That's not the Christian life. I mean, I, you know what I can say every day? I made one right decision at seven. I got saved. And I can say I'm still saved. But some days I'm thinking, man, Jesus, where are you at? That's a southern way for I know it's where you at, behind the at. Well, that's a prepositional at. Mm -mm. Uh -uh. We still say at down there. We also say ain't. You better help me, Alabama. God bless your heart, man. <laughs> you better jump in here somewhere, man. I'll grab you by that beard and pull you down here. <laughs> I still got some skill. Not as fast as I used to be, but I still got some. You know what happens? Joseph goes down there in the house. The Bible said the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph was working, and he blessed the work, and Potiphar said, my goodness, man, every time I turn around, it seems like whatever you're over, it seems to prosper. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you over my whole house. That's his personal finances, man. That Bible says when Joseph runs into the first time over there with Mrs. Potiphar, you know what he says? He said, your husband has put me in charge of everything and has held, kept nothing back from me except you. 
That's what your Bible says. That's how much he trusted Joseph. He has told him everything, gave him the keys to the kingdom, and said, boy, you run everything, you take care of everything, you touch my wife, I'll kill you. But beyond that, he said, now don't you find it interesting? Don't you kind of get a little inkling right there that Potiphar says you can have everything but stay away from my wife? I wonder if he don't know something about his wife. I'm just saying. I, I mean... It's just a little clue that's in there. Maybe that's old habits there. And so one day she comes up there, and you know what happens? She's out there, and, and uh, uh, he's, uh, she's at the table doing her homework and stuff. And she says, hey, come on here and help me with this homework. And he comes in and says, she says, why don't we go up to my bedroom and do my homework? I'm intentionally deviating there, kids, to let you know uh, you don't have kids in your bedroom doing your homework. It's a bedroom. It is for sleeping. It is not for boys. Unless you intend that to be the last place that they see on earth. Some of you guys are like, man, why'd you have to say that? She just asked me to come to the bedroom. You know, we keep the door open. I will stab you in the eye with a fork. Uh uh. Ain't happening. Maybe in your house. Ain't happening in my house. My, my great-grandkids, you will die. You will die. You will stay right here where Papa can see you. Papa, can we? No. Ask again and they're leaving. But Papa, bye. See, that's mean. <laughs> okay, you call it whatever you want to call it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm trying to take care of some little ones. You know what happened? She says, uh, hey, why don't you come and uh, maybe me and you can make a little time. She waited until there's none of the men in the house. She's devious. And Joseph's going about his normal routines, his normal duties, and he's checking how much corn is in the crib and how much stuff's up there in the cupboard, and he's making this and that and the other. And the next thing you know, she's standing over there, and she comes on, and I'm talking close, close order combat here, boys. How do you know? She got his coat. She's all up in his face. I'm just trying to get you the picture. Pretty hard to resist. And Joseph said, No, ma'am, you can forget that. And he dumps his coat, keeps his character, as they say, and he hauled Heine out of there, and then the next thing you know, she starts screaming to all the men in the house. Well, they must not have thought much of it. But when she tells Potter for the story, he thinks to himself, probably, well, I'm not going to sleep on the couch, so uh, I guess I better do something here. I sure hate to kill a good man, though. But I am in charge of the prison, so I could, I could put him in the prison. I think the fact that he didn't kill him is indicative of the fact that he must have thought there were some shenanigans going on. Now, that's just my opinion. I can't prove that in the Bible. But if somebody did that to my wife, I'm just saying to you, you know it's probably on tape or MP or whatever. First of all, he would watch while I took care of her first. <laughs> if she's the one. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry you wouldn't do that. I told you I still got skills. <laughs> you come to our church, you'll drive over speed bumps in the parking lot. People ask all the time, why y'all got speed bumps in the parking lot? That's where the bodies are buried. <laughs> Who was that? John, Bill, and Eddie. What? Never mind. 
don't cross that preacher. But then uh, don't you think at very least if you thought that had happened and if the way she painted the picture, that if he had taken advantage of her, well, come on boys, what would you do? Amen. Wouldn't you bury him in some swamp out here somewhere? Yeah. You know, out deer hunting? Oops, excuse me, if you thought you had antlers. <laughs> come on, wouldn't you? Sure you would. He doesn't kill him. The Bible said and the Lord protected him. The Lord watched over him. The Lord had mercy on him. He puts him down there in the prison. Did I forget to tell you he's on the way to the palace? That boy has yet to meet the, go to the palace yet. Everywhere he goes, he just winds up in trouble. I mean, it is one ditch after the next ditch after the next ditch after the next ditch. Sounds like a Christian life. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. Right when you think you're just about to get a leg up and things are kind of starting to come around, then something else comes apart. And the next thing you know, he's down there in the prison and he's doing his stuff. And the guy in charge of the prison says, hey, Joseph, we're going to put some people in charge here and you're going to be over them. And Joseph says, okay, whatever you say. And Joseph goes to work down there and he's doing his work one day. And there's two boys sitting down there at breakfast time there, probably having some bacon. And egg. Well, they probably didn't have no bacon, but they had some, uh, um, uh, 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 some uh, anyway, they had some kind of meat and some eggs that were there. And, and they're eating. <laughs> Messed up my illustration. And, and, uh, and then one says, man, I couldn't sleep sleep last night for nothing, man. I had the hardest time in the world sleeping. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get to sleep. I, I had a bad dream, man. What would you have a dream about? And he told his dream over there and he said, well, you and me were here and this and that and the other was happening and I'm not really sure what the dream means. And then the butler comes in and he said, well, I dreamed this too, but I dreamed it a different way. And uh, Joseph overheard it and he said, well, uh, I know what that meant. And the boy says, you know how to interpret a dream? He said, well, interpretations belong to the Lord. But yeah, I can tell you what that meant. I tell you what, I'll cut you a deal. What's that? I'm going to tell you what your dreams are, but when you get out of here, could you remember me? Did you ever think about that? You ever have somebody that you tried to help out and then after you helped them out they said, man, I'll never forget you and I'll never forget what you did for me and I sure do appreciate how you did this and that and the other. Boy, I'll never forget you. And you find out they had a chance to speak up for you and they sat there, boy, like a lot lizard and just clammed up on That ever happened to you? I mean, you know, call me if you need anything. And then you call them and it's like, hey, man, I, hey, I, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. That ever happened to you? You haven't been saved long. You haven't been in the ministry long if that hadn't happened to you. He goes down there and he tells them what's going on. And he said, well, you know, bad news for you. They're going to stretch your neck and you're going to lose your head. And you're going to come around and you're going to wind up being okay. Now, if you boys would speak up for me, I'd appreciate it. And they come get the boys and it comes true. I mean, down to the finite points, just like his other dreams. And the Lord gives him confirmation. Well, if I gave you that dream and it came true, what do you think about those dreams I gave you over there about the sheaves and the stars? Lord just giving him a little hang in there Joseph hang in there Joseph well they get up there and guess what happens one boy winds up getting hung and then the butler's in there one day and Pharaoh gets up one day and he's rubbing his eyes man and he's thinking man what a dream I had last night and, and they said what'd you dream Pharaoh the butler's pouring his grape juice into his cup there and uh, they said he said bring all the wise men in here I'm going to tell them what I dreamed he said man I, I dreamed about seven fat cows and seven skinny cows and seven good ears of corn and seven ears of corn made by Monsanto that had all kind of stuff in it and stuff like that. Amelo's corn to make plastic bags out of or something, something like that. I can't remember his bad dream. Nightmare, man. And, and so he said, what does that mean? And the wisest people in the whole kingdom can't tell him. And that butler finally goes, uh, 
Sir, if I might, just for a moment, <laughs> tell you that when you uh, put me in jail, now, now you were right in doing so, and I appreciate you being merciful to me, and I, I'm not complaining. I mean, the facilities were wonderful, and thank you for restoring me. Don't want to go back there. But while I was there, I met this boy, and he talked different languages and stuff like that. Never heard it before. He said some kind of Hebrew or something. I don't know what the deal was, but he had learned our language. And he said, uh, you remember the, the baker down there? And the king said, yeah, I remember him. And he said, well, me and him were down there. And he gave us, I'm almost done. Bear with me. He said this. He said, uh, he told us the dream down to the nth degree. And he said, he did. He said, yes, sir. And he said, he might be able to tell him what your dream means. Where's he at? He's in prison. By this time, he has been there 14 years since he was in the pit on the way to the palace. 14 years. No inkling of the palace. No indicators he's ever going to get to the palace. Would you ever think you were going to the palace from a pit? Or from Potiphar's house? Or from a prison cell? Well, I sure wouldn't. And they, he says, well, send him up here. And the Bible says they shaved Joseph, or Joseph shaved, and he changed his raiment. And he goes up there in front, and he brings him up there in front of the palace. And Joseph's looking around in that palace, and he's thinking, well, this is real nice, man. I, he, doesn't, he doesn't see anything. He doesn't know anything's going to happen. Looks around that palatial place like that. And Pharaoh says to him, uh, Hey, you know how to interpret dreams? Joseph says, Do not interpretations belong to God? He said, I don't care who they belong to. Do you know how to read them or not? And he said, Well, I don't, but he does. And he said, Okay, seven fat cows, seven kenny cows, and seven good ears of corn, seven bad ears of corn. What's that mean? Joseph said, oh, that means you better lay up in store, man, because you're going to have seven good years, and you better pile it away, man, because you're going to have seven years, man. That cat's going to be up the tree with no climbing gear, man. You're going to have a bad, bad time, man. I mean, he'll be up the creek with no means of motivation. It's bad coming. You've got seven years to prepare for it. And Pharaoh is so swept off of his feet, he says, come here, man. And he takes that ring off of his hand, and he said, put this on. He said, well, that's your ring. He goes, yep, nobody but me will ever be above you in the kingdom, and everybody's going to do what you tell me to do, what you tell them to do, and nobody but me can tell you what to do. And puts him in a chariot and announces it to everybody far and wide. And now he's in the palace. But you don't even know why yet. Seven more years he's gathering up store. 21 years. And they're into the famine now. And all of a sudden, hey Joseph, yep, we got some people from your country over there. They're in the storeroom over there. They're looking to buy some corn and some grain. You think you might know them? Joseph goes over there and he pulls that satin curtain out of the way and he looks and he said, well, I'll be jumped. Look who's here. There's Reuben and Simeon and I see just about all of them there, but Ben, I wonder where Ben is, ain't he? 
dips back behind the court, and you know how he does. He plays the games with them and so on and so forth. Here's where I'm headed. Almost done. Preacher's fixing to come. He gets up there to the end of that thing, and then finally all of a sudden he stands there in front of those boys, and he says, uh, y'all don't know me, do you? And No, sir. No, sir. We don't know who you are. We sure we, we didn't steal nothing from you. I don't know where you got that idea. <laughs> I don't know where you got that. He takes off that headdress. Takes a rag and wipes all that Egyptian stuff off of his face. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph. And the first thing that happens to them is fear runs through their heart like, you say, why? They know what they did to him. And they wouldn't blame it if he did the same to them. And then all of a sudden, Joseph says, you all meant it for evil. God meant it for good. 21 years to get to the palace. And Joseph is the one that winds up being like a type of Christ, but he winds up saving the nation of Israel because God put him in a pit, put him in a prison cage, put him in Potiphar's house, put him in a prison, and then put him into the palace. You're going to be together here for three or four days and having a meeting and stuff like that. And the temptation is, is that when you're in one of those positions along the pathway to the palace, you'll have a tendency to think God's forgotten you and God doesn't know what he's doing and God's lost his mind. You know what you have to learn to do? The Apostle Paul said, we've learned in tribulation to give thanks and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Boy, that's tough. You say, why? You're on the way to the palace. I was in a meeting not long ago, and I preached a message along these lines. And I, I finished up there, and a lady had to get up, and she got up and left. And, you know, sometimes as a preacher, when that happens, you think, man, I've dropped a bomb. Man, I've done a bad job. Egg. It was a bad deal and that kind of a thing. And I'm kind of beating myself up while she's walking out the door. And I'm thinking, man, I, I'm really sorry. And I'm thinking the whole preacher's not going to be upset. And I'm messed up so bad. And she's out the door, tore out pretty fast. I didn't think I said anything to make her mad, you know, but, but, but she looked like she was mad, you know, like, you know, like kind of like some of y'all look right now, you know. <laughs> and, and, I mean, she beat feet out the door, man. And so I went to the preacher after the meeting was over that, and people come to the altar and all that stuff, and we got finished with all that. And then he took me back in the hotel, and I said, uh, Brother Usher, I'm sorry. He goes, oh, no, it's fine. It was not a, not a problem. And I said, uh, I'm not really sure what happened. And he said, don't worry about it, preacher. It's okay. He said, it was real help to us. And I said, okay, well, whatever. About 11.30 that night, it was a little late. I was already asleep. He texted me in one of them little things. And he said, uh, preacher, I just got this text from that girl that left. She was on the way to the hospital. She was fixing to start having seizures. They, I didn't know, but she had just come out. She had had 21 different treatments for them trying to get seizures stopped and she had to hightail it to the hospital because she felt like something was coming on and she sent this text to him she said preacher I'm on the way to the hospital but don't worry about me I'm just on the path to the palace I think that's the best night of sleep I had in a long time because she understood that the path was his path 
not hers. And that God could do with her whatever he wanted to do. My dad was only 64 years old and gave up professional baseball and all the other stuff and tell you about it some other time. They lost their first child because a doctor came in in a drunken stupor and crushed his brains and two days and two nights later he died. Pastored churches, never had any money trouble, never had any women trouble, never did anything. Left a big church down in Panama City and went into evangelism. Did 38 to 45 meetings a year. Wound up getting a blood transfusion with uh, uh, hepatitis in it and it wound up causing problems for his liver. And he died when he was 64. So, well, preacher, that's kind of a sad story. I mean, is that how God treats his men? That was his path. God chose to do that. My dad never complained. After all I did and all I left and all it's cost me, you know what he said, boy? He said, if I start saying something crazy or stupid or I say anything to hurt your mama, he said, give me enough stuff to knock out a horse. You hear me? And I said, well, Daddy, I want to make sure that it gets easy for you. And he said, son, you don't understand. He said, all they're going to remember is how I left, not all I did. And I said, Dad, I don't get it. He just patted me. He said, I'm not my own. I don't get to make those choices. Of all the things, why did he get hepatitis? Why did it affect his liver and his spleen and all kind of other stuff? Why did he leave at 64? Why does Jim Lentz leave at 54? It's their path. You know what Paul said? I have finished my course. You ever look at Paul's course? Tonight when you get home, you read 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 Corinthians 12. You'll see Paul's course. Of the Jews, five times have received I forty stripes, save one, and perils of countrymen, perils of robbers, and perils of this, and perils of that, and perils of nakedness, and perils of hunger, and fastings often, and prayers, and this, and that, and the other, and the care of all the churches, and all that. And Paul said, yep, but it's his path. And once you grab a hold of that, you know what you can realize? You can rejoice in the pit, and in the prison cage. And when you're falsely accused, and you can go, okay, well, the Lord's doing something. <laughs> and maybe he'll make it easier. Heads are bowed, and eyes are closed, and we'll let the preacher close it how he sees fit. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to maybe get some understanding of why bad things happen to good people. Maybe understand that we're not our own, we're bought with a price. Maybe understand that you're the one that picks our path, not us. Help us, God, to recognize and to realize as we're gathered over these next few days that the unseen hand is behind everything going on and the unseen hand is what's in control. And you're taking care of us and watching over us. Help us to be able to, to stand strong and having done all to stand, just to continue to stand while you take us through the storms of life so that we can get over to the other shore. Pray you'll bless it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
not some fairy tale. You've got real problems. You've got real aches. You've got real pain. You've got real problems. got you on the way to the palace. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're not, there, there is no palace for you. Tonight could be the night that you set foot on that path. But it won't be an easy path, but it'll be the best path you ever stepped foot on. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why don't you come down tonight? Why don't you make sure that you get to leave here on the right path? Amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. They all.